Okay, so I'll do this. This is not where I'm going. Famous last words. Um, <clears throat> but I got, I, I, it's one of those things where I got it so slight, but I, I feel like it's from the Lord. I'm just going to follow this if I can. So <clears throat> in Genesis 27, uh, it's a story where um, Jacob steals uh, Esau's blessing. You familiar with that? And <clears throat> he dresses up like Esau. Apparently Esau was a human rug. And uh, <laughs> he dresses up like Esau. He smells like Esau, his mom, and his mom helps him out through this whole thing. And um, uh, so he tricks his father, Jacob, uh, no, Israel, I'm sorry, tricks his father. And uh, uh, so his dad winds up giving him the blessing of the firstborn. And so he receives it. No sooner had he received it and walked out, Esau comes in. And because he's gone out to, to, to uh, catch some game and cook it for his dad, and so he does. And, and, and when he walks in, he goes, okay, dad, uh, here's your food. You know, give me, your, give me the blessing. And it says that Israel begins to tremble because he realizes he's just given this tremendous blessing away. So who, who, was, who was the person who was just here who stood in your place? And then Esau realizes that his brother has tricked him and that he's taken away his blessing. So it's the ultimate betrayal, right? And um, so I was looking, go, go back and look at that. Look, look at the blessing that, that uh, Jacob gets, I mean, that, uh, uh, yeah, Jacob gets and Esau loses, it says that, that in verse 33, Isaac began to, to tremble un uncontrollably. Then who's just served me wild game? I've already eaten it and I've blessed him just before you came in. When Esau heard his father's words, he let out a loud and bitter cry. Oh, my father, what about me? Bless me too. And Isaac said, your brother was here and he tricked me. He has taken away your blessing. Esau exclaimed, no wonder his name is Jacob for he has now cheated me twice. He took my rights as the firstborn, and now he's stolen the blessing. Isaac said to, to Esau, I've made Jacob your master and have declared all that his brothers will be, all his brothers will be his servants. I have guaranteed him an abundance of grain and wine, and what is left for me to give to you, my son? Esau pleaded, but do you, do you only have one blessing? Oh, Father, please bless me. Then Esau broke down and wept. Finally, his father says to him, his father Isaac says to him, I think I said Israel a while ago, Isaac says to him, you will live away from the richness of the earth and away from the dew of the heaven above. You will live by your sword and you will serve your brother. This is what I'll, but when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. And a couple of things in this is what I felt like is A, this is an invitation, but B, one of the things I wanted to tell you is that bitterness corrodes the container that it's carried in. And when you decide to break free from all the betrayals, from all of the misblessings, from all of the 
stuff, you will shake that yoke off of your neck. But it doesn't happen until you decide to break free. So, anyway. If, if that's you, stand up. Stand up. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Lord, as we stand before you, we are saying enough is enough. We are tired of this. We release, we forgive, we release, completely release in the name of Jesus. Those who have betrayed us, those who have uh, stolen from us, those who have abused us, we release them in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I command the yoke to come off of your neck in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. No more are you identified as the one who's had bad things happen to you. I break that off, I break that off, I cancel that in the name of Jesus. I declare over you that that thing is an affront to the cross and Jesus died to liberate you freely in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I cancel all the debt. I cancel the curse. I cancel it in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, off of your body, off of your spirit, off of your soul, off of your property, off of your, off of your uh, uh, creativity. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I saw some people switch hands. They were writing with their right hand. They, now they've gone to their left hand to start to write. I just saw that. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, the shackles, the bonds, the yoke, in the name, the mold, in the name of Jesus, I break that off of you in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. From the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, you are loosed in Jesus' name. You are loosed. You are loosed in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you're the one that opens the door that no man can shut, and you shut the door that no man can open. Every door that needs to be closed over this matter, be closed in Jesus' name. And every door that needs to be opened over your life, be opened in Jesus' name. Every door to life, be opened. Every door to death, be closed in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we declare this over you. And we don't even look. Some of you need to tear the rearview mirror off of the, the car of your mind. You're driving like you're driving. You're, you're going backwards like you're, like you're looking through the rearview mirror. Stop driving through the rearview mirror. Drive through the front windshield. In Jesus' name, I bless you. I bless you. And there is a blessing for you. And I declare over you nothing lost. I declare over you that... Uh, I declare over you that the, the, the end of the season of the locusts, in Jesus' name. 
the end of the season of the locust to the point where you restore what the locusts have eaten to the point to where you cannot even tell anymore that there was any locust or anywhere around in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Ooh. Woo. Okay. We are in a series of uh, talking about, basically, we are there's looking at the centrality of Jesus, who Jesus is, what he's done for us. Whew. you one more thing. <laughs> In Revelation 3, at the end of Revelation 3, Jesus makes this statement, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens up, I will come in to him. My father and I will dine with him. The very next chapter, Revelation 4, John says, I saw a door standing open. I declare over you, there's an open door over your life. Everything that Jesus has done and paid for has opened this door over your life. There's a place where you're waiting on the blessings to come to you. He's waiting on you to step through the door. Step through the door. You pick up what you've been learning and you step through the door. We step through that door. The, <laughs> I'm gonna pray here in just a second again. <clears throat> There, yesterday, uh, I was praying and felt like the Lord said, hey, Jeff, you're, you, you don't come to me with any sort of expectation or any sort of purpose, especially when you know what I have done for you. I have opened the doors. I have create, I've liberated you. I've removed the guilt from you. I have, um, uh, you stand before me blameless, and yet you still are out here waiting for me to come to you. Step in. It's like, whoa, all right. So we do that. Father, as blood-bought children, in the name of Jesus, we step in and we storm the gates, uh, we storm the throne room in the name of Jesus. And we declare, we belong, we belong, we belong. Because of the blood of Jesus, we belong, you belong. Because of the blood of Jesus, you belong. And so, Lord, we say, open up, heavenly gates, open up, that the King of glory may come in. Lord, I ask that this morning that you would guard our hearts, that you would guard our eyes, that you would, Lord, I ask, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would send forth a spirit of wisdom. I ask, Lord, for wisdom and revelation, wisdom, Lord, so that we would know how to walk with you that we would know, how, uh, that we would recognize the voice of the enemy which sounds so much like our own thoughts. I ask, Lord, that, that we would recognize this. We, I ask, Lord, that for everything that Jesus has paid for, that this group of people would exemplify and, Lord, that we would mirror everything that he's, that he's paid for. 
We love you. We thank you, Abba. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Holy Spirit. <sighs> Amen. So, <clears throat> I, um, this, is, this is kind of a, sh- I'm not going to say that. This is the big message. I was going to say this is a short message, but I have no idea. It's kind of a big, it's, it's a big mess. It's not about the length of it. It's about the retainage. It's about what, and I'm not talking about retaining something so that you can, so that we can parrot what I'm talking about. I'm talking about take grabbing something that is life-giving that becomes transformative in here. It transforms who we are. It transforms how we think. It transforms the way that we see things, the way that we hear things. It transforms us. Jesus, we, we have been liberated. We have been, we have been uh, separated from this kingdom of darkness, and we have been launched over into the kingdom of the son of his love. He's done things, and so there's a place where we are going to step into who he, what he has done and what he's called us to do. Yeah. So I'll say something else, but I think that's enough right there. Okay. So, just so that, I, I'm not doing this for repetition at all. I'm doing this just to recalibrate us. But there's two or three verses that I've been using over the past 12 or 13 weeks, not in any sort of order. And I'm not trying to leave these out. I'm just trying to, uh, it seems like that the Lord, uh, the Holy Spirit is pointing to, let me go ahead and get started on this, is pointing to, the validity of where he's calling us as a church, the validity of where he's calling us is that he's calling us to wake up and to realize that probably for the most part, most of us in this room, that were, if you were brought up in the church or even if you weren't brought up in the church, are familiar with a part of the message of this life, this life called Jesus. We're familiar with part of what he's done. We're familiar with, most of us are familiar with the sin aspect of what he's done, and that him dying on the cross was absolutely relevant. It was absolutely the sacrifice that was needed for us to make it in, uh, to have eternal salvation. And so we've got all of this, we've got our, our, our eternal, or like binoculars on where we, yep, I can see where I'm going, but we don't realize he's done something for the now. His, the thing that he's also done is he, he has, he's paid the price for our eternal salvation. He's paid the price for our sicknesses. No, no, no. No, no, no. Oh, no, no. Oh, no. I, I, I'm, not trying, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to yank your cord at all. I'm just saying we are going to get there. Paid for both. He told the guy, he told, which one's easier? To say, your sins are forgiven, or say, rise, get up, and walk? Which one's easier? To the paralyzed guy, which one's easier? I paid for both. And so, the whole message of this life, and it's not even about just the health, it continues on. There's a a whole lot more. And so, so today, with that, one one of the verses that keeps popping back in my head, or keeps popping back in my spirit, is the Holy Spirit again, recalibrating us and asking us this question, where is your faith? And for those of you that, that maybe weren't uh, here a few weeks ago when we talked about this, the question is not so much like, where's your faith, like, like you've lost it, like you, it's just, you know, you, or, or, oh, man, you know, my pockets are empty, and I guess I, don't, I guess I left it in the car. It's like, no, 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 no. 
It's not about the amount of faith that you have. It's, a, it's about the focus. It's the focus. of. If it's about the amount of faith that I have, then all of a sudden, if I don't have enough, then what I'm praying for doesn't happen. And somehow, somehow this whole thing turns out to be about me and what I've done and what I can do and what I can't do is actually based on what I've done and what I haven't done. Does that make sense? Yeah. To me? And so there's truth in that, but it's not the whole truth. The whole truth is a seeing on what he's done. It's all based on what he's done. Okay? So this statement, where's your faith? I want us to come back around this because I want to point to something today that I feel like is another, it's another notch in the question, another layer being peeled back of the Lord asking us this question. We, we, we want to be able to answer this question. Where's your faith? You want to be able to answer that question. Where is my faith? It's so funny because here I am teaching this and I find during the week that I get sucked back into this. Oh, it's up to me what I haven't done and what I have done. And I'm like, whoa, who will separate me from this? Praise be to God, Jesus Christ was come to liberate me. That's a good thing for you. <laughs> so, if you have your Bibles, I, I'm going to tell you, um, I, I'm really encouraging you, strongly encouraging you to follow along in your Bible. On your tablet, on your phone, whatever, turn it on, okay? Even though I'm using a different version than what you might be using, you need to see what I'm talking about with your own book, iPad, whatever it is. And so I want to start out, <clears throat> the, the question is, is who is your faith focused on? What is your faith focused on? Okay, the who and the what. So this morning, uh, I want us to look at uh, Luke chapter 8. We're going to start with verse 4. And what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to read this passage because it sets up the, the, the verse that I'm wanting to extract, and then we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. Luke chapter 8, verse 4. When a large crowd was coming together and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. As he said these things, he would call out, he who has ears, let him hear kind of interesting as he's talking about this. Every once in a while, he would pause and go, he who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. When his disciples began questioning him as to what the parable meant, he said to them, verse 10, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Then in verse 11, he begins to explain to them what the parable means. But I felt from, from the, from, felt like from the Lord this morning that we're going to stop with this opening sentence that says, the meaning of the parable. 
is the seed is God's word. That's what we're going to land on this morning. The meaning of the parable is the seed is God's word. A sower went out to sow seed. The seed is God's word. Now, the thing that we want to look at is that seeds, all good seeds, all, like all seeds, when they're put into good ground, a seed has the power to grow and do its own work. Okay? The seed is the word of God, or the seed is God's word. This simple illustration is paramount. It's huge. If we can understand the illustration, the logic behind the, the seed, this is, there, this is a big, big deal behind this right here. This is, a big, this is a big breakthrough for somebody. It's a simple illustration. It is impossible for a farmer to have faith for a harvest before he was sure any seed had been planted. The seed is the word of God or God's promise. Sometimes I feel like we get too religious we get tripped up on the word of God. Word of God, it's word, which I'm not trying to detract from that, but there's something in that that causes me to repel. But when I hear the promise of God, oh, what's the promise of God? The promise of God comes to us in seed form. Matthew twenty two twenty nine, 29, one of the verses we've, that's been orbiting around this teaching. Jesus replied, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God, right? So this is not a condemnation. This is actually an invitation that the Lord, the Holy Spirit is inviting us into to say, hey, Grace Center, there's more. May I suggest... What if the scriptures and the power of God were synonymous? The seed is God's word, scriptures. In the scriptures is found the power of God. What if the seed, which is God's word, or his promise, was something that had to be planted in the soil of our heart before any result could happen. <laughs> so, with that, turn to Psalms 107, verse 20. 107, 20 says this, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. There, there's a translation that I found. It's, it's called Fenton. It's a person's last name, Fenton, F-E-N-T-O-N. He translates it like this. He sent his word and it healed them. This tells us that there is no word of God without power. The seed 
is God's word. The seed is the promise of God to you. The promise of God comes to you in a seed, in a seed form. Satan cannot stop the seed from doing its work. He cannot stop the seed from doing its work unless we allow him to get the seed out of the ground. The way he gets the seed out of the ground is by getting us to turn our attention away from God's promise and focus our attention on the symptoms. This is how Satan steals a seed, by getting us to look at our symptoms, our surroundings, obstacles, anything in the natural. The seed of faith is often planted in the soil of adversity. You're welcome. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, man. It's like, Jeff, that's supposed to encourage me how? Ah, it's because you're not familiar with the nature of the seed. The nature of the seed or the promise of God is it's indestructible. First Peter one twenty three. You have been born again by means of the living word of God. His word lasts forever. You were not born again from a seed that will die. You were born from a seed that can't die. Some of your translations say an imperishable seed. The word of God is an imperishable seed. Can't be destroyed. The imperishable seed, right, the seed that can't die is planted in the soil of our hearts. And when we believe what he says, the promise can't die. <laughs> Listen to me. Very important note. Very important note. Very important note. The word of God, which is the seed is in constant conflict with the symptoms. Constant. The symptoms are, are constantly trying to destroy, destroy the seed. The symptoms will always show you why the promise is impossible. The seed versus the symptoms This is our battle. Our symptoms are a constant voice that directly opposes or argues against God's word to us, his promise to us. Our symptoms are a constant voice that directly opposes or argues against God's words to us. And this struggle has been going on since the beginning of time. It's not just about you. This has been going on forever. 
Turn to Genesis chapter 17. We're going to start with verse 1. says this, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell down on the ground. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you, I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. And in verse 6, I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. Verse 7, I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God, the God of your descendants after you, and I will give the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. And then scroll down to verse 17, and he begins to talk to Abram about Sarai. Regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, she will be Sarah. And I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. The seed of God to Abraham and Sarah, planted right there in the midst of adversity. They had nothing to show for it right in the midst of adversity. So what did Abraham do? Verse 17, then Abraham bowed to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. He laughed. Now, here's, here's a notable, here's what we need to notice. The first verse said, the Lord appeared to Abraham. So he's, Abraham is getting this message one-on-one, baby, one-on-one. There's no hypothetical. I think he had a dream. There's this unicorn came out and talked to me and his <laughs> horn got turned around and then he pointed to the east, but it was actually the west. None of that. No, this is God Almighty. El Shaddai showed up. El Shaddai showed up. Have no idea what he looks like, but I guarantee you he didn't look like Abraham. That's right. I'm sure he had some shiny clothes or there was something that actually set him apart. So if you think about, if you think about this, El Shaddai, God Almighty, is talking to Abraham, giving him this tremendous prophecy, and Abraham falls down and laughs. What's happening? It's the symptoms versus the seed. It's the clash. Not the Simpsons, the symptoms are clashing. Abraham says this, how could I become a father at the age of 100? What is that? Symptoms. 
How can Sarah have a baby when she's 90 years old? Symptoms. Screaming. They're screaming at him. Remember, the seed, when it's put into good ground, a believing heart, it has the power to do its own work. So the question is, how would Abraham plant this seed into his heart? A seed that was actually engulfed by so many impossible symptoms. How does he do it? by accepting his name change. Go back to verse three, 17, three. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you'll be called Abraham for you will be the father of many nations. Watch this. Abraham planted the seed in his heart when he accepted his new name, the father of many nations. Hello, I'm Abraham, the father of many nations, and you are? Hi, I'm the father of many nations, and you are? Hello, I'm the father. He had, not only that, he had to go to Sarah, Sarai. Sarah, uh, changing your name. By the way, I'm no longer Abram, which is exalted father, I am now the father of a multitude of nations. And Sarah's like, right. Pretty sure the word multitude has to do with more than one. You just have one. That's not what she said, but this is the symptoms. It wasn't until Abraham accepted what God said that the seed was put into his heart. When he began to say the same things that God said, it took root. Abraham was going around, had to tell his servants. I'm gonna have a servant meeting here, guys, okay? Did you bring the shepherds? Guys, gotta let you know, Changing my stationery, okay? It's no longer Abram. It's been called Abraham. From now on, you just know that. I'm the father of multitude of nations. Well, he's signing my check. I guess we have to do this. But Abraham began to take on what God had said about him. As he repeated God's word about himself, his faith grew. And when his faith grew, exactly what God said came true. Turn to Romans 4. Romans chapter 4. Paul talks about this. Verse 17. Romans 4, 17. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. If you only remember two things, 
And these are the only two things that, you, that adjust your perception of who God is. I've hit a grand slam. If we walk out of here going, I am coming to you, God, who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Oh, my word. Can you imagine the, pers- the, the paradigm shift that we would have? I'm not trying to drum anything up. I'm speaking truth. I am speaking truth, church. He is calling us to a place. The reason, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. That's your mistake. Ah, not condemned. It's a mistake. You didn't know. In other words, there is more to the scriptures and more to the power of God than you're experiencing right now. This one that we serve actually has this stamped on his, across his desk. Brings the the dead back to life and creates something out of nothing. It's like he didn't have the same limitations that I have. He didn't have the same limitations that you have. There is no such thing as a dead end with God. He invented GPS. (laughs) Verse 18. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. So against hope against hope, what's he talking about? He's talking about the hope that, that, that Abraham could have gathered in the natural. Do you know that when we, when we get a word from the Lord, instantly we begin to parcel out how this is going to work out. You know, we try to, you know, figure out in the natural how this is going to line up. I can see how, okay, I need $100. I know who can get that for me. I think it's going to, I'll just walk by them and just say, boy, God, good. And if he could give me, whatever. But we do that. And the thing about it is, is when we don't see any way that something can happen in the natural, our faith wanes. And God is saying, oh no, you're doing that according to your skills. You're not doing this according to my skills. My skills is, is I speak something that doesn't exist and voila. Put your faith in this one. When there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. His symptoms were in direct conflict with the seed. The symptoms were screaming at him. There's no hope. You're too old. Sarah's too old. This is impossible. This could only happen if you were younger. In the midst of all of that, he kept saying what God had said. Why would you believe such a thing? It says that Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced. Everyone say fully convinced. Fully convinced. Fully convinced. Fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Oof. I wouldn't want to write this down on a true or false test for any of us anonymously, but if we ask the question, do you believe that God is able to do what he's promised you? Maybe on a good day. It's not that I don't think he's able. I just don't know that he wants to. Oh. Oh. Oh, there's a little nugget. 
Mark chapter 16, verse 17, I need to hurry, says this, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. It's a seed. It's a promise from Jesus. There's this other, one of my favorite verses, and God who cannot lie. I uh, was thinking about this verse because I'd love to do this sometime. I won't do this on you because that would be mean. But ask for people, anyone who needs healing, stand up. I'm just saying, I'm not not asking you to do that right now. Anyone needs healing, stand up. And then pray like we normally do over people. And then ask the question, okay, how many people have noticed a significant change? And you see people waving their arms. How much? 10%, 20%, 30%? Yep, 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 yep. And then have the audacity to say, now, who didn't notice any change? And watch the hands go up. So the ones who were healed, raise your hands. The ones who were not healed, raise your hands. And then talk to the ones who were not healed and say, how do you know? Well, because my symptoms are still up. There's a shift that needs to happen where we begin to place, to look for the evidence of answered prayer is actually in his word, not in what we see or feel. That's the shift that's happening. This says, the promise says, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. There's a difference between a miracle and a healing. Miracles can happen instantaneously. Healing, it says, is a process. So how many times have I gone up for prayer and didn't get healed and walked out thinking, well, maybe next time. No. Keep that door open. Keep your faith engaged. Healing is a process. It doesn't say if. It says they will recover. Not they might recover. They will recover. So here's a, yeah, I'll stop right there. So the question here is where is your faith? And the question here is how will you receive or plant the seed, God's promise to you, in your heart. Remember I said at the beginning, Revelation 4, there's an open door. We step through it. It's been a way that's provided. We step through it. The promises that have been made to you, it's an indestructible seed. It's an indestructible promise. The only way that the enemy can take it, or the only way that he can cause this not to happen is to take it from us, to steal it from us. The way that he steals it from us is he causes us to look at our situation and take our eyes off of his word, his promise. Let's stand.
going to ask for the uh, ministry teams. Could you guys come on up? So every week now, we've been asking for words of knowledge, and uh, they come at different... Uh, did, did you have some? Uh, they come at... It, first service, there was a list, and so I think they've got a little bit... A li- I've got two right now. Yeah. Is, that, is that them? So the word of knowledge came through. Anybody with uh, struggling with uh, breast cancer, and uh, the other one is is the left wrist, pain in the left wrist, or or something to, to do with the left wrist. So, Father, ooh, Lord, I thank you for the adjustment. I thank you, Lord, for the clarity. I ask, Lord, I ask that you would guard our eyes, that you would guard our hearts, that you would guard our mouths. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who eat its fruit will be satisfied, whether it's death or life. So Lord, I ask, Lord, that we would stop partnering with symptoms, whatever they may be. If we can't see anything on the horizon, would you remind us that you're the God that speaks things into being that don't exist right now? May the one who watches over your soul continue to show himself faithful to you. I said this before, you are on a collision course with the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God has nothing to do with your faith. He says that he is faithful even if we are faithless because he cannot deny himself. It's who he is. So Lord, I thank you. Ask, Lord, that you would keep the spiritual birds of the year from coming and stealing any of this. And I ask, Lord, that the giants, I'm saying this delicately, of false doctrine would be calmed. In Jesus' name, amen.